The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Well, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but Tesla has had quite the month. Maybe one of the banner months of its entire life as a company. So no better time than now to check in on the world of Elon Musk and to do so with Rob Maurer of the always excellent Tesla Daily Podcast. Why did Tesla's stock shoot to the moon earlier this month? Why did it come back down a bit and then inch back towards the moon later on this month? What are the fundamentals behind that excellent earnings report? And is this it? Have the Tesla bulls finally won such a fascinating, fascinating company? uh, For contingency purposes, I'm going to say up front that we're recording uh, the afternoon of February 14th, Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Rob. Yeah, you as well. <laughs> uh, well, listen, uh, I don't. I'm trying to. I'm trying to come up with some Valentine's joke analogy or something about what we're about to talk about. But um, you know what? I feel like every time we talk, it's mainly just me being like, "Okay, Rob, what the heck just happened?" <laughs> um, before before we get to the stock price and and everything that happened this month. We should probably, I'd I'd like you to walk me through as best you can the earnings call and specifically, not the earnings call, but the earnings report. Specifically, Mm -hmm. like, what were the key drivers? What did people hear that everyone thought was so good that I need to understand about what happened? Sure. Yeah. And I think for that, it's probably best to go back kind of two earnings reports ago. I don't think we've spoken since then, but that's that's really when the stock started to take off. Uh, was after the Q3 uh, delivery and production report, and then the earnings report after that. So, basically, what Tesla has demonstrated in the last you know six months or so is proof of concept of the business, and that's been the big reason that the stock has appreciated in my mind. So this year they delivered you know 367,000 vehicles. They turned profitable in the second half of the year. So both in Q3 and Q4 they showed strong profits. That's always been you know the knock on Tesla is They've grown revenue significantly over time, vehicle deliveries significantly over time, but they haven't been able to be profitable because of the high growth rate that they've had. But, you know, that's been a knock on them. So this year, the Model 3 in volume was happening um, throughout the course of the year. And um, with that happening, they finally, you know, covered their fixed costs and things like that and flipped the switch into profitability, demonstrating that they can be, you know, a volume producer of electric vehicles and that that is a sustainable business model. So Wall Street obviously likes that. It removes a lot of risk when that is demonstrated and it allows people to start to get excited about, you know, what the future may hold for Tesla. So I think that's the big thing that came through, you know, in the last couple of earnings reports and specifically, you know, Tesla has surprised on the gross margin line. I think a lot of people were expecting even Tesla bulls, for example, were expecting, you know, slower growth in margins and in q3 they definitely jumped up and that was 
allowed Tesla to deliver that surprise profit that then continued on through Q4. Do we know what the reason is for that? Like why margins are, are holding up? I think it's just that they're getting to the stage now where the Model 3 production is, you know, at like seven, 8,000 per week. And because they're at that high of volume, you know, historically the last 18, 24 months or so, they've been ramping up from anywhere to 100 a week to, you know, 1,000 a week, 5,000 per week. And now at this level, they're finally able to, you know, um, get enough margin per vehicle at that high of volume where it's starting to cover those fixed costs. Well, and, and that's that's the other thing. I mean, I feel like at least one of the times we talked about before it was, we, we, we spoke together, it was around the time where it's like, uh, can we get these these cars out the door like we promised? And so, and so, like, is that also just completely off the table now? Like, the production is is what was promised and what was hoped for all this time? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily quite to what was promised. I mean, Elon sort of famously back in, I think, 2017 said that they would have, you know, he, he pretty much guaranteed they'd get to 10,000 Model 3s produced per week, I think sometime in, you know, 2019 or so. And as I said, we're around seven, 8,000 per week now. So they're not quite to what Elon had hoped for back then, but there are good reasons for that. They've basically adjusted their strategy a little bit in terms of where they wanted to produce the Model 3. So the opportunity opened up um, in Shanghai to do a 100% wholly owned factory there, which is a first for any foreign automaker in the country. Uh, so what that means is historically people have had to go in and do joint ventures where a Chinese company would own 50% of the company. The foreign automaker would own 50% of the company. Shanghai actually opened it up for Tesla and changed their regulations to allow Tesla to be 100% wholly owned. So with that on the table, they decided to take advantage of that and um, accelerate their plans to build a factory in China. So over the last you know, 13, 14 months, they've been working on that. And they actually went from breaking ground in China in like January 7th of 2019 to producing vehicles in the exact same year. So going from nothing to actually production in less than a year, which is really unprecedented at, you know, with this sort of a product and with this sort of manufacturing. So with that, they decided to, instead of investing more capital expense into production in the U.S. in Fremont, California, where they have their factory, they decided to just maximize the output that they could get out of what they've already spent there and shift some of that investment into China. So that pushed back that 10000 per week goal a little bit, uh, but they should get there within the next few months now. What what about the um, the the lineup mix uh, the product mix like um, I think again one time we spoke it's about like okay the Model Three's coming through the the plan working out that um, you know a mid range car uh, will will really pull the levers and and um, is has that been working out is there something that I'm not aware of in terms of like oh yeah this you know the 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 entire portfolio is hitting all the marks that we expected there I would say definitely on the model 3 line I think you know production has been really solid it's maybe not what Elon once said but it's still ahead of you know what Wall Street expected so uh, last quarter I'm asking uh, more I'm asking more about sales though and like um because were you just talking about production yeah, so sorry cuz yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of a lot of times I think of it in terms of production because Tesla, mm. you know, pretty much is able to sell everything that they make, especially for the case of the Model 3. When we last spoke, the one of the things that was hurting Tesla at the time was Model S and X demand had fallen a little bit. Mm-hmm. So around Q1 for example, they delivered only 12,000 of those vehicles compared to 27,000 the quarter before. So a really sharp drop off and that was one of the reasons the stock took such a hit. Um 
you know, earlier on in 2019. But that has rebounded. So in Q4, for example, on Model S and X, they sold 20,000. So demand has risen there again as they've made some updates to the vehicles. And then with Model 3, yeah, demand is super strong there. Um, they still have, you know, six to eight week delivery wait times in the U.S. right now for for new orders um, and very little inventory. Their, their inventory levels are actually the lowest that they've been in about four years. So on the demand side, things are looking as strong as ever, too, which is another reason, yeah, the stock is is reacting strongly. Well, yeah, let's let's not put it off any further. Uh, you know, look, I, what a crazy concept. Um, uh, a company that is demonstrating profitability, not just path to profitability or profitability someday or theoretical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you pointed out that Tesla stock had been on a tear before that. I think like, what was it, like October, it was still under 300 bucks or whatever. And so that even in, in January before the earnings, um, it, it had been, I don't know, tripling or something. But Yeah, I mean, back in June, the stock was $177 a share. Mm, so mm. in nine months or so, you know, we've quadrupled, essentially, even slightly more. Right. I think it's uh, around 800 right now as we're talking. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that's a long way from the, you know, 420 funding secured <laughs> level, you know. Right. Um, now... I think I actually haven't had a chance to listen uh, to your show recently, but I, I saw in the show notes, like, and I, and I heard some things also too, in this run up to, this is a twofold question because, you know, from, from someone not paying attention every day, you're like, well, this is a classic short squeeze. But then I also mm-hmm. was seeing some things on Twitter about like, and I think even one of your show notes hinted at like, yeah, there's some really odd behavior, especially as we're like cresting $945 or something like that. So tell me what you can about, and, and you know, we're not finance professor, professionals or whatever, but like the stock's performance and what we think we know about what's going on there. Sure. Um, I would say that short interest definitely plays into it. So just like a quick brief on that. Basically, what short selling is, is people will borrow shares from people that actually own shares, and then they'll resell them in the market and hope to buy them back later for a lower price profiting on that difference. So basically a bet that the stock is going to go down. And historically, Tesla has had really high short interest, meaning a lot of people betting against it. And what that does, it creates extra shares into the market, which has the same effect as dilution, essentially, because there are extra shares out there that need to be purchased and, you know, basic supply and demand that causes the price to be a little bit lower. So what we've seen over the last six months or so is short interest has fallen pretty significantly, not to the level that I would necessarily call it a short squeeze, like we saw, you know, years ago with uh, Volkswagen and Porsche kind of when that whole merger mm. thing sort of happened, the stock shot up, I don't know, like 300% in a couple days. It's not really to that level, <clears throat> but the short interest has definitely fallen. So we're at about 22 and a half million shares <clears throat> sold short right now versus, you know, six, nine months ago, it was in the 40 million range. So that essentially takes, you know, 20 million shares out of the market, which can definitely have a positive impact on the stock again for that same supply and demand reason. And then I think the other thing you're talking about is just potentially a little bit of, you know, manipulation that can happen um, in the stock market, I think. Probably don't want to get necessarily too much into that because that's more day, day-to-day type of stuff and or even more speculative. speculative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 
How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. Whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Um, but now, uh, just this week, um, a new secondary stock offering. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, uh, again, breezing through your show notes, um, give me the, the pros and cons of this for investors. Because again, just um, you know, gliding by at a glance, it's like, well, anytime you do a, a secondary offering, it's dilutive to existing shareholders. So what's your take on... Um, First of all, if you're a Tesla shareholder, are you happy about this? So I think there are a couple things to consider. On the Q4 earnings call, um, Elon and their CFO, Zach Kirkhorn, essentially said that we have no need to raise capital. We're spending capital as quickly as we can. And so wait, 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 wait. Literally in (laughs) in the earnings call that just happened this week, they said they probably weren't going to raise more capital. And then they immediately (laughs) raised more capital. Yep. So two weeks ago now at this point, and some circumstances have changed. I mean, the stock is 33% higher now than it was at that time. So, you know, that's a pretty significant difference that can cause you to reconsider. And Tesla moves quick, quickly, things can change, um, even with their own projections and things like that, and their own goals and, you know, CapEx plans and all that. So things definitely change quickly. Um, but I would also say the best time to raise capital is when you don't need to, uh, mm-hmm. because that's when your share price is going to be the highest. That's when you can get the best terms. So what they've done is they've issued 3 million roughly new shares 
into the market. Um, they have about 181 million shares outstanding before. This will bring it up to 184 million. So it's only about 1.7% dilution on the company. And they're raising about $2.3 billion from that sale in cash, which should put their cash balance up to about $8.5 billion. And as they said, going forward, they should be free cash flow positive. In 2019, they were free cash flow positive, generating a billion dollars in free cash flow. Um, so from here on out, they should continue to grow that cash balance pending, you know, if they have any more aggressive sort of uh, spending plans. So they said they just are using it for general balance sheet purposes to strengthen the financial, you know, um, standing of the company, which does make sense, I think, because they can get, you know, better credit ratings, better debt terms and things like that and reduce risk if there's a recession. So there are a lot of benefits to that, especially at this time where we're, you know, at all time highs where Tesla's got $140 billion market cap, you know, the second most valuable automaker, second most valuable automaker, things like that. Um, I'm sure you've seen this take, but this was my take as soon as I saw that there was going to be a secondary offering. Um, why only two, what did you say? 2.3? 2.3. Yep. It, well, because, all right. Uh, you know, if if we're assuming that it's not a short squeeze, if we're all we know right now is people want to buy Tesla stock, mm-hmm. so give it to them. <laughs> why? <laughs> why only two point three? Like it seems like you could do five or ten or something crazy. Yeah, I'm sure there would be you know demand for that sort of an offering in the market right now. Um, I think the the thing for Tesla is they're trying to dilute as little as possible over time. Um, and historically, you know, they've, they've have, they have added shares as they've needed to raise capital. And that's been one of the criticisms on the share prices. You know, the share price is never actually going to grow because they're just going to keep diluting and adding capital. But now that they are free cash flow positive, they don't need as much capital and they can also, you know, access more capital through debt as their financial position has grown stronger. So they don't really have, as they said on the call, they don't really have that much of a need to raise more than what they have here. And even this is, I think, more of an opportunistic type of a raise than something that they really actually needed to do. Um, how about this take? And, and stop me if you've heard this. You know, uh, Matt Levine, he has a, a newsletter in, in Bloomberg Opinion. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't heard it, let me, uh, let me read it to you a little bit. Um, sure. <clears throat> he's like, you know, if I were running Tesla, and this is part of why I'm not, he's like, <laughs> I'd probably announce a stock buyback program today also, because why not? But he wants to go bigger. He's like, sell $10 billion of stock today, use $8 billion of it to build cars and stuff, but then <laughs> set aside $2 billion and use it on stock buybacks if the stock dips below, you know, $500 or whatever. Um, because he's like, you know, Musk has said before, we're, we're subject to wild swings in our stock price that can be a major distraction for everyone working at Tesla. So why not make these wild swings work for you? Why not, like, when the stock is too high, sell more stock. When the <laughs> stock is too low, buy it back. Like, then all of a sudden you wouldn't have to worry about the the crazy back and forth. Like, um, it, it's insane to think about Tesla doing stock buybacks right now. But again you know, make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, I think with that sort of strategy, I understand the logic behind it, but I don't think the brokerages and the underwriters of those sort of deals would, you know, look too fondly on Tesla one month selling a bunch of shares into the market and then, you know, the next month coming back and buying those shares back cheaper. I don't think they would be very appreciative of that. Um, And it it would also just be weird to sort of be, you know, you know, trading your own company like that. Um, Yeah, but everybody trades their own company right now. Actually, that's actually that's a larger point in in his uh, newsletter that day. It's like that, um, you know, essentially 
most big public companies now use the stock market as a way to return capital to investors. Sure. <laughs> so in a way, I, and listen, again, neither of us do this for a living, so we don't know what we're talking about. But I don't know that it would be that insane to the bankers, because well, that's I what everybody else does. I think a lot of times that's that's one direction, though. Either you're selling shares and raising capital, or you're buying shares back and returning capital. Like Apple, for example, they've had huge share buy share buybacks, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars over the last few years, and that's definitely helped their stock price. But they're not then, you know, one month going back and selling more shares just because the stock, you know, went up. So I think it's generally one direction, and I think the multi-direction trading aspect. Maybe there are companies that are doing it, not any that I'm aware of, but I think that would probably be frowned upon. And you know, Tesla's already under enough financial scrutiny that, that I true. don't think they need to add that. That is true. One thing I will say on that point, though, they do um, offer convertible debt, and they do have sort of call options to hedge against that convertible debt. Where if the stock price is you know high when that debt needs to be converted, uh, Tesla is hedged against that. So they are. Doing a little bit of that more as a hedge than um, to to minimize dilution than actual like trading, but they are you know taking advantage of some of that those financial instruments. Um, is this vindication or early vindication or complete vindication for Tesla bulls like you? I, I assume you would consider yourself a Tesla bull, right? Yes, yes, um, and I should mention I am a stockholder as well. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. Um, so like. <laughs> Are, have you have you all been just you know um, <laughs> clicking your heels, celebrating and, yeah, for the champagne? Yeah. Um, frankly, to me, this seems long overdue, and I know the stock price doubling or tripling in three months seems crazy, and it feels like you know a short squeeze, something like that. But if you look at the numbers, Tesla back in 2014, so six years ago, they had a share price of $280 per share. So we've only you know tripled from that level over six years, which is nothing crazy. And Tesla's revenue when the share price was $280 per share was $3.2 billion in 2014. And in 2020, they'll do $32 billion or more. So they've 10 X revenue over that period of time. And the share price has only tripled. So um, with dilution, the market cap has gone up a little bit more than that. But the point is, just because it's compressed into this one small period of time doesn't mean that Tesla's necessarily overvalued. I mean, you can definitely make arguments for that. I I don't buy into those arguments. But yeah. do, do, are um, you are you worried that though maybe because it's only natural. Even if you even if you're a total bull, the stock can get ahead of itself. You sure. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm I'm saying I, I I'm hearing you say that long term you still think there's plenty of room to go. But for right now, maybe it's gone too far. And we saw it it go up and and come back a bit. Although it's creeping back up again now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the tricky thing. Like, it, you know, you, you always want to try and time things if you're, you know, trading in and out. For me, most of my investment is, you know, 10 year plus time horizon, just because I think the the potential Tesla has to become a trillion dollar market cap company is very high. Uh, so for me, I'm not interested in sort of like selling out my position here just because I think there's a chance that, you know, things might stagnate or dip back because, it doesn't really matter too much. Yeah, maybe I could buy them back cheaper a little bit later. But on the other hand, what if I can't? What if something, you know, what if some good news happens and the stock goes up to, you know, $1,300 a share and then I just lost, you know, 30% of my shares or something like that? So you could take that risk. It's just not something that I'm personally interested in because even at this valuation, I still think Tesla's undervalued for the time, for the five, 10 year time horizon. Uh, real quick, uh, is there any coronavirus risk with supply chain with the factory in china any any reporting on that 
Yeah, definitely. So there is some downtime. They had about a week and a half or a week to a week and a half of downtime at the factory um, unplanned due to coronavirus. And there's some risk in the supply chain, too, of course, as you know, that sort of impacts all businesses there. So there's definitely risk. And I think that, you know, maybe is a factor in why they chose to raise capital is maybe um, just hedging against some of that risk a little bit in case it stays out there for a more long period of time. Um, so there's going to be an impact. That being said, the production out of Gigafactory Shanghai right now, which is their, you know, Shanghai facility is much lower than it is in Fremont. So I think the bigger risk is actually within that supply chain. If they produce no, no vehicles out of Gigafactory Shanghai this quarter, it's not going to be a huge hit for the company. Yeah, they would have liked to have had that production, but it's not something that's going to, you know, cause a huge swing financially. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Uh, last question, and this is going to be an odd one, and it's almost like a personal one. But I've, I've been talking on the show recently about... Like, I'm sure you're aware of the whole, like, Tesla Q crowd and the, the Tesla Bears. Yeah. Yes. And, and I've, you know, I've been mentioning that in the context of, I feel like that's sort of everywhere now where, like, it, you see it in crypto where there are people that are Bitcoin maximalists, people that are XRP stands, and, and, and they fight all the time, and, and it's this back and forth battle that can get very heated. It's like everything's partisan now, right? Um, and so it's, it's a weird thing where like in this space and in the crypto space and in other spaces, I can still dip my toe in and I have no beef on either side. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, and this is where it's almost personal and I don't even know if I'm asking a question here really, (laughs) but when you're, cause you know, you're doing this daily, this is your, Mm -hmm. your livelihood now, like giving this information to people when you're involved in a space like this. And it's so vitriolic and there's, it's not, but people are so invested in being right or wrong. Mm -hmm. How does that affect you on a daily basis? And then do you, are, is that, are you gloating against the Tesla (laughs) Qs right now? You know what I mean? I'm just curious what it's like to be in it. And I'm not being pejorative at all. I'm not saying it's bad to be in it, but I just, I want to know what it's like. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. I'm just trying to think of how how to respond to it. I mean, for me, I've never been one that has been like, I think kind of like yourself, I try to be as open-minded as I can. And I'm not one that's out there, you know, poking Tesla Q people on Twitter or anything like that. Like I pretty much just, you know, do my research, report on what I see, um, 
you know, rely on my own analysis. I'm not out there, you know, trying to start arguments or go find people and tell them that they're wrong. I'm really just trying to spread the information that I believe is accurate. Uh, that's, that's really what I'm about. So I'm not as heavily involved, definitely aware of Tesla Q and they're, they're definitely an interesting community. Um, the thing that I would say about them is it's just something to be careful about because they do a lot of like filtering. They're, they're sort of famous now for having this block list on Twitter where mm. if you make any sort of positive comment at all about Tesla, even if it's not related to like directly to them, you they'll, know what? they'll put can you on I, this block I, list. Let me interrupt you because yeah. I'm, I'm aware of that too. Like there's famously VC Twitter. Like if you're not, people always accuse VCs of, and thankfully I'm not one of these people that get blocked, but if you're insufficiently enthused about how tech is changing the world, then you get blocked. So again, this is sort of the phenomenon that I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask it this way. Um, like the Tesla Q people, do you like a hundred percent? You think you're right. But do you, because when I, okay, again, I'm, I'm an outsider. I've mm-hmm. listened to podcast episodes with Tesla bears and they've made a case and, you know, it, it can go all the way to Elon Musk as a fraud and a huckster too. But th- I've listened to episodes where I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me. The case you just made, made me think, yeah, Tesla is in trouble. And then I listened to your show and I'm like, no, listen, man, we're only at the early, the early days of this sort of stuff. So I'm curious about, is it a, when you look at the world just from your perch in Tesla? If I'm not committed, if I can still look at both sides, I'm not asking you if you think the Tesla Q people are delusional, but do can you see? It's almost like the political question: Can you still be a moderate? Or I, yeah, I absolutely try to. I try to see the other points of view, and I try to approach things with an open mind and, you know, explore the idea that, you know, maybe I'm not right. That's definitely a possibility. You know, there are no guarantees in this and investing in any single company is high risk. So, um, it's definitely considered, um, yeah, take your time and and I'll completely edit this. And, um, again, this is a difficult one because I don't even know what I'm asking. I just want to know, I, I'm not. I'm. But I'm not so committed to anything. And I'm not saying you're like a zealot or anything. I just. And also, you're winning, <laughs> right? So that, I find that curious too. Like, what's it like to be on the side that's winning at the moment? You know. Yeah, I. I think for me, it it's, it's somewhat validating, but at the same time, it's not surprising. I think you know this is. I've been following Tesla literally hours every single day since 2013. So seven years now. And, you know, I have a lot of conviction in the, in the company and what they're building and the inability of the entrenched automakers to be able to compete with them and, you know, some hiccups along the way, but thus far things have pretty much played out as, you know, we expected back in, you know, those early days. And if you look at sort of how Elon Musk has laid out the plan for the company, Early on, he said, you know, secret master plan number one, we're going to build um, an expensive low volume car. We're going to use the profits from that to build a slightly less expensive, you know, slightly more volume car. And then profits from that to build a high volume mass market car. And that's what they've done step by step by step. And it's just been extremely clear. And 
they've achieved that again, you know, not maybe without some flaws along the way, but largely they've accomplished what they set out to do. And other people just have not been able to compete with that because of, you know, they have entrenched dealerships, they have investment into internal combustion engines, they have organizational structures that are not set up to be able to build something from the ground up anymore because the supply chain is so, you know, heavily parted out and things like that, where it's more of a package deal. You're sort of packaging things together versus creating things on your own where Tesla's all vertically integrated. There's just all these lists of things of, about why Tesla should be successful. And really the only counter argument has been, you know, Tesla's not profitable or Tesla's a fraud. And Tesla's now answering those questions and showing that they can be profitable um, and that the demand is there for these vehicles. So as those questions get answered, that's why we're seeing the stock price increase because people are starting to realize that the position that Tesla is in is just extremely strong and the position that other people are in is, you know, tenable at best. So I don't know that that necessarily answers your question. No, it does. It does. Because it, it, there's not really there's not really an answer there. It's more I'm, I just want to understand the the psychology. And, you know, it's a weird thing. It occurs to me that, you know, as opposed to politics or other spaces where everything is so, you know, arguing about whether the new uh, Star Wars movie was good or not. Like, there, <laughs> there's no way to prove. But then for things like stocks or yeah. like like numbers or it, the only other analogy is sports like if you pick a team and your team wins the super bowl and you've been saying for 20 years that we're the greatest team in the world <laughs> well it's provable because they won the super bowl you know yeah um so it's it's interesting that um the math will prove or disprove or whatever eventually the yeah the, absolutely the that's kind of why I said at the beginning is just like I'm really just about reporting on things and looking at the data and analyzing it as best I can. And ultimately, you know, I, I feel like that's going to end up somewhere. And if, if it doesn't, like there's probably something that's along the way going to show that I'm wrong and then, you know, I'll adjust my point of view. But it's just sort of that day to day reevaluation. So that's that's why I think I'm not out there you know, gloating or anything like that. I'm more just focused on like, all right, where are we at today? What's what's new? What's different? Uh, you know, is, are things still on track and, and where do we go from here? Rob, Tesla Daily Podcast, right? That's where you do this every Tesla day. Tesla Daily, any podcast app. I just got on YouTube too. So uh, you can find me on YouTube. Just search for Tesla Daily Podcast. This is a rare opportunity from one of our fellow listeners to join a startup still in stealth mode at the co-founder level. As the co-founder, you would receive substantial equity in the company rather than being hired on as a regular employee on payroll. This is a startup on a mission to eradicate the obesity epidemic and reduce the insane sugar consumption in the U.S. So it's a startup looking to put a meaningful dent in the universe. Persons right for this role would have at least 10 years of experience in data science at either an e-commerce, food, or retail company. They'd be familiar with fuzzy logic, deployed services, and apps on the cloud, and have an advanced degree in mathematics, statistics, or a similar field. If this is you, you would have the opportunity to lead the development of proprietary machine learning, optimization algorithms, natural language processing, and elastic search, and build a scalable and modern database with as many as half a billion, billion with a B, data points. 
Moreover, you would be able to help bootstrap the company, develop a POC, and raise capital to take it to the next level. As I say, this is the sort of opportunity that these podcast classifieds were designed for. So please, if this is you, follow up by emailing cofounders at iCloud.com. What can it hurt to have a conversation? That's cofounders, C-O-F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S at iCloud.com. <laughs> 